Uh, The reading tonight comes from Luke chapter 15 um, and we're starting at verse 11. He, Jesus, also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and travelled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said... How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am, dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, I love hearing stories. I love hearing stories about how people came to know Jesus Christ. I love hearing people's testimonies about how they met Jesus. Uh, some of those stories are quite spectacular. I think of James, who went from jail to knowing Jesus. A guy called Pete, I know, used to deal with drugs, and now he is a preacher <laughs> of Jesus Christ. That's a that's spectacular type of conversion stories. Uh, other stories are more mundane, aren't they? They're more sort of grew up in church, went to kids' church, went to youth group, just sort of gradually came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. But everyone has a story. And at the heart of everybody's story, <coughs> and my story of your story, is this basic truth that we had a broken relationship with God that needed to be fixed. We had a broken relationship with our Heavenly Father that needed to be restored. 
And that's our story tonight from the Bible. It's really a love story. It's a story about a father who, who loves his sons and a father who loves his sons so much that he will do anything to make sure they're back in relationship. I'm no relationship expert, but I think there's basically two types of breakdowns in your relationships. You've got the, the shattered relationships and the drifting relationships. Uh, the shattered relationships is when you've got your best friend and one day something happens. One day something happens that just shatters that friendship. It's like a, a piece of glass that has been shattered into a thousand pieces. And you're thinking, where do we start to repair this? You ever had that? Your best friend, that the next day you can't look them in the eye, you can't be in their presence, you take them off Facebook, and it's all over. That's that sort of, that shattered, sudden breakdown in relationship. And it hurts, doesn't it? Uh, I think harder to spot is the, the slow drift. I think of a couple I know, and they've been married for many, many years. Uh, there was no row. They were faithful to each other. No crisis. They didn't fight. They, they just lived in the same house, under the same roof, eating at the same table, sleeping in the same bed year after year after year, and they woke up one day and realized they didn't know each other. They just drifted apart. And that happens in a friendship, doesn't it? And there's no bust-up, no anger, no hostility. You're just, your life goes on a different path. And you've got their phone number in your iPhone, but you just don't contact them. Whether there's a, a sudden breakdown or a slow drift, it's the same issue, isn't it? A broken relationship, a broken friendship that needs to be reconciled. Now, how do you feel? How do you feel when you have a broken relationship? How do you feel when you know, your, your best man at your wedding or your bridesmaid at your wedding, you never see them anymore? How do you feel about that? Indifferent? Sad? Angry? Today we're looking at probably the most famous story that Jesus told. It's a story about broken relationships. One's broken by that sudden, shattering, big row, and the other is broken by the long, slow drift. But both these relationships need to be healed. Uh, Jesus tells this story to two groups of people. He calls them the sinners and the saints. And the sinners are the people who are obviously so far away from God. You know, the prostitutes, the thieves, the robbers, the tax collectors, the liars, and the hopers. It's obvious they're so far away from God. And they need to know that God still loves them. Uh, but the so-called saints are the people who appear to be close to God. They appear to be right with God. They go to church, they say their prayers, they do good deeds, they're nice, kind, upright people but they've drifted far away from God. And they too need to hear how much God loves them. There's the younger son, there's the older son, but in the center of this story, the main character in this story is the father. And the father is God himself. Because this is a story about how God treats us. 
This is a story about a, a father, a heavenly father, who, who continues to love us with his extraordinary, extravagant, undeserved, gracious, forgiving love. So you're supposed to read this story and, and see where you fit into this story. Y- you've got a part in this story. And let me say right up front that you're not the father. Because you're not God. You're in it, I'm in it. And we're either the younger son or we're the older brother. So who are you? Let's think about this shattered relationship, the, the younger son. Look at verse 12. The younger of them, the younger son, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Look at that verse again. Father, give me your money. Father, give me my inheritance now. They're incredibly selfish words, aren't they? Dad, I want your money, but I don't want you. Dad, I want to enjoy all the good things that you can give me, but I don't want you around, Dad. Dad, I need your help to enjoy life. I need your help to help me to do the things that I want to do in life and live my life, but I don't want you around. Isn't that scandalous? Can you imagine turning to your own father, the man who's provided for you all your your life, and you look him in the face and you say, Dad, I I want your money. I want what you can give me, Dad, but... I just don't want you around. But actually, can I humbly suggest that that's the way that a lot of people treat God? Let's be honest. God, I I, I want what you can give me, but I don't want you around, God. God, I like all the material stuff that you give me, but I don't want you around, God. God, I, I love the friendships I've got and my family and my food and my finances and my fun and my fitness and I... I like my house and my holidays and I like my health and my wealth and I love the smell of freshly baked bread and I like the the feeling of the sun on my back and I like my kids and my car and my clothes. I, I love all these good things that God graciously gives us every single day that we don't deserve. All these wonderful things that our Heavenly Father generously gives us, we just take those things and we say, I'll take those things, God, but I don't want you in my life. And that might shock you, but it is the reality for most people. Well, we don't shake the fist at God, we're just more subtle. We, we just never say thank you, we just assume that all these things are right and we've earned them. There are many younger sons, aren't there? People trying to live life without God, on the run from God. Well, let me ask you, what is so attractive about life without God? What is so attractive that the majority of our society try and do life without God. I think it's freedom. They want freedom. They want to be free to make their own choices to do what they want because they think they know best. And this boy, this younger son, wanted his freedom. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son, he gathered together all he had. He took all the money, took all his possessions, and he left home. And he traveled as far away as he possibly could. He had freedom. He had money. He had the wine. He had the food. He had the women. He had the sex. And he squandered his estate in foolish living. See, one day for this younger son, 
the bubble burst. And it always does. That, that bubble of pleasure always bursts, that bubble of self-satisfaction and sex and success, it, it never satisfies. And this younger son thought that he had it all, and one day he wakes up and realizes he's got nothing left. Verse 14, after he spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Uh, this boy is rock bottom. He's so hungry, the, the pig slops seem appetizing. He's looking for freedom, but what does he find? He finds emptiness. He went for an experience, and he found emptiness. He wanted to enjoy life, but he found emptiness. And he's not just lacking food, is he? What this son is really lacking is, is that intimate relationship with his father again. He's hit rock bottom. He's got nothing. And you know, sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it takes us to be stripped of everything good before we wake up and say, I need you, God. I think of Joel. Joel was brought into a Christian family, kids' church, youth group, youth leader, <laughs> until he discovered the music industry. It was there he started his casual drug use that turned into an addiction. And here's what he wrote. Joel wrote, I no longer visited my family. I miss birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, births, all because of this addiction. I hit rock bottom when I was evicted from my home and I slept on the streets. I'd given up everything that was good in my life and wasted everything on reckless living. The hardest thing I've ever done in life was telling my parents how far I had fallen. Telling my mother that her son was a drug addict. But like the father in the parable of the prodigal, my parents loved me unconditionally, regardless of what I've done. That's the story of the younger son. Hits rock bottom, wakes up one day and thinks, how stupid I am. Verse 17, he comes to his senses. He says, Look at all my father's servants. They've got more food, and I'm here dying of hunger. I've got to go home. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Dad, I have sinned. Dad, I'm sorry. Let's be honest. There are lots of younger sons in this church and in our world taking the pleasures of life and laughing in the face of the provider crazy, isn't it? What do we try and fill that void with? Travel, work, hobbies, fitness, racing through life, doing more and more stuff because we are empty. It was Augustine who said, God has made, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Th that's the younger son, that shattered relationship with his father. But I reckon the older son is much more dangerous and much harder to spot. That's the slow drift from God. That's the person who thinks, I'm okay. I'm in church at five o'clock every Sunday. I'm on the rosters. I'm happy to help. I'm hardworking. I'm loyal. I'm reliable. I'm decent. I'm kind. I'm caring. And 
but deep down you know it's all a sham and you have no relationship with your heavenly father that's the older brother in this story verse 25 the perfect son never rebelled never wasted his his money never parted hard never said get lost dad he's always at home he's always helping he's always there but look at his attitude Verse 25. Uh, the older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Oh, your brother's here, he told him. Your father slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Spot this attitude? He became angry. He did not want to go in. He refused to go inside. His father came out and pleaded with him. But the older son said these words, Look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Do you spot the resentment? Do you spot the anger? This kind of sanctimonious, martyr-like, Woe is me kind of attitude. I've been in church. I'm the religious one. I've served you. I'm good. I'm okay. It's tragic, isn't it? Living in the same house as his dad, eating at the same table as his dad, they see each other every day, but their relationship is non-existent. How do you know that? Verse 29. He says, I've been slaving many years for you. He's a son, not a slave. Verse 30, when this son of yours, no, no, he's your brother. This is a good man who thinks he's okay, but he's a million miles away from God. Do you know that? You do not have to run to a distant land to run away from God. You can be in church every week and be a long way away from God. I've seen it in this church. True story. A man was wonderfully converted out of a terrible life, visiting the prostitutes, alcohol every night. Wonderfully converted. A few months later, he was reading the Bible, old prayer, I can't remember which one it was. And somebody took offense at that. How dare he read the Bible when I hadn't been asked to read the Bible? And they left church. As far as I know, they're not at another church. There are lots of older brothers in churches that full of selfish pride, thinking they're okay with God, but they're a million miles away. But whether your relationship with God has been shattered or whether it's a slow drift, it's the same problem. And what you really need is a father who loves you. And that's where our third character comes in, the father. That's God himself, isn't it? See, the younger son... He wakes up, he decides to go home. And the tension in this story comes in verse 20. Uh, the son's walking home, I'm not worthy to be called your son, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He got up and went to his father. Now, now how is the father going to react? Let me ask you, how would you react? H- how would you react if your son or one of your children had squandered all your money? You've sold your house for them. Uh, You've given your superannuation for them. 
Uh, they've slept with half of King's Cross. They've, they've told you they wished that you were dead. They've brought shame and humiliation on you and your family. And here they are at your front door. How would you react? I think I'd make them squirm. I think I would inflict a bit of punishment. I think I might demand some money back or make them earn that trust again. That's me. I'm guessing you're probably the same. But the Father in this story, that is our Heavenly Father, God Himself. Look at it. There's, there's no recrimination. No grievances, no grudges. He's waiting. He is welcoming. He is forgiving. He is loving. The lavish love of our Heavenly Father. Uh, he loves the older son as well. You see in verse 28, the older son refused to go in, so the father went out to find him. The older son refused to join the party, so his father lovingly went out and said, please. Verse 31, son, you're always with me. I love you. Isn't that extraordinary that God should bother with the arrogant religious people who think they're okay? But he does because he loves us. But can you imagine being that younger son? Can you imagine going home? Dad, I'm sorry I've sinned. Dad, I'm sorry I've sinned. Dad, I've messed up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but before you get the words out of your mouth, verse 20 is the most extraordinary verse, the most glorious verse. Look at it. While the son was a long way off, he didn't even get home. His father saw him. He's been waiting. He's been looking. He's been longing. And what's his attitude? It's not anger. He was filled with compassion. Look at that word. Our father is filled with compassion. Grace, kindness, love, forgiveness. And the father runs, totally undignified. And he throws his arms around the neck of his son and he kisses him. Or literally the verse says, he covered him with kisses. It's all a bit embarrassing for us, isn't it? All a bit too intimate. Hugs and kisses from a father. Not manly. But that's how God, your heavenly father, treats you. If you grasp the, the depth, the intimacy of God's love for you. Totally undeserved. Now God does not make this son repay. He doesn't grind his face in the dirt. He just got his arms wide open. I love you, I love you, I forgive you. And so the son says, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And, and the father says, let's have a party. <laughs> Bring out the best robe, uh, fit for a king. Let's have a party and let's celebrate. And you can imagine the big banner saying, Welcome home, my son. Welcome home. It's an interesting word, home, isn't it? What is a home? Home is not a, a building, is it? You can be in a building that you call your house, but you can be desperately lonely. 
Isn't home people? Being with people who love you. I love love stories. I love Michael Bublé. He wrote this song, Home. Another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and in Rome, but I want to go home. I may be surrounded by a million people, but I still feel all alone. I just want to go home. I miss you, you know. Another aeroplane, another sunny place. I'm lucky, I know, but I want to go home. I've just got to go home. Let me go home. I'm just too far from where you are. I want to go home. And that's what it means to be human. To be home with a father who loves us. A heavenly father who loves us with a gracious, forgiving, lavish love. One of my favorite stories is the story of the old oak tree. You know that story? The man's been in prison for three long years. He's brought shame and humiliation on his whole family. And the time comes for him to be released from prison. And he wants to go home. He's not sure whether his mum and dad will accept him, whether they've forgiven him. So he writes him a letter and says, Mum, Dad, I'm about to be released from prison. I'd love to come home. But I don't know whether you've forgiven me and whether you accept me. I'll understand if you don't want me because I've humiliated you. Uh, don't come to the prison. I'll find my own way to the village. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I, if you forgive me, if you welcome me, if you, if you love me, j- just hang a yellow ribbon on the old oak tree in the village. And so when I'm coming through the village on, on the bus, if I see the, the yellow ribbon on the old oak tree, I, I know that you forgive me, I know that you love me, and I'll get off the bus. But I'll understand if it's not there. Can you imagine that man sitting on that bus heading towards that village? Can you imagine going in that last bend into the village just looking at that old oak tree? Can you imagine that? And you look up and, and you sob uncontrollably because there's no yellow ribbon. There's no yellow ribbon on the old oak tree. Instead, that old oak tree is covered in yellow dusters and yellow ribbons and yellow tea towels and everything yellow. Because his mum and dad are saying, of course we love you. Of course we forgive you. Welcome home. But God did not put a yellow ribbon on an old oak tree, did he? God did something much more costly. He nailed his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His own son. His perfect son, his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to an old wooden cross and there he hung to die and took the punishment that you and I deserve. And God is shouting at you and screaming at you, that is how much I love you. That is how much I forgive you. Welcome home. The cross is just this this amazing picture of God lavishing his love on us, covering us with kisses, running to meet us, embracing us and hugging us. And I know that you're sitting there saying, ah, but 
uh, I want to do something. I want to earn that forgiveness. Well, you can't. You can't. He's done it all at Calvary. And maybe you're feeling guilty. And God is saying, shh, stop it. I see everything you've done. I know everything you've said. And I love you and I forgive you. And the question to leave you with tonight is this. Has God welcomed you home? Have you come home to God? Uh, You can choose to stay away. You can choose to keep enjoying all the good things that God gives you and blatantly or subtly ignoring Him. You can choose to stay away from God by coming to church every week and, and playing the part. But knowing that you're miles away from God. You can choose to stay away from God, but if you never bother to come home to Him, if you're too proud and too arrogant or too blind, on that last day He'll say, well, I never knew you. But if you simply just come to your heavenly Father and, and just like the prodigal say, Dad, Father, I, I'm so sorry. You hear those amazing words, I love you. I forgive you, I died for you. So who are you? The younger son with a shattered relationship, the older brother with your slow drift. Which one were you? If you're a follower of Christ here tonight, which one were you? I'm going to give everyone here now a chance just to be silent and to think. Maybe you're the shattered relationship. Maybe you're the drifting relationship. Maybe you have come home and you need to meditate on just how much God loves you. Just have a moment of silence and we're going to say a prayer together. We'll come from the screen. as people who are loved with a extravagant, lavish love. Let's say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.